You're listening to the Bugcast, broadcasting from Studio B, from the heart of WBUG. Welcome to Episode 2 of the Bugcast. I'm the Bug, broadcasting from WGUB. W- <laughs> WBUG. Studio B, uh, from the Bug Cave. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about the next evolutionary step that history allows us to understand uh, because so much is lost. Um, as I learned in the last episode during the research, um, to get to that point, uh, there's just not a whole lot of information on the clay pot um, being recorded um, being a device for recording, which begs me to wonder, and I'll, I'll do a follow-up on this later, but how did we get to the phonograph? Um, um, I mean, we all know the, what the history books say, but it's, it's the irony behind a clay pot being able to, uh, record, uh, physically record the sounds of the creator of said clay pot, um, whether intentionally or accidental. Um, it's the similarities there are kind of interesting to me. And um, as you know, I'm not going to get into too much technical things as far as the the. Um, evolution goes but what i'd like to talk about is the impact the cultural impact uh that the phonograph had on the listening audience and the producer of music and i'm gonna go way back um I'm going to go way back to a moment in time, which, you know, my dad doesn't remember, but I do vividly, uh, bringing home uh, that phonograph uh, with the wax cylinders. Very, very, very delicate. Uh, in a mechanical uh, amplification with that device, uh in other words, it was a phonograph because it had a phono um, graph meaning to to write and phono meaning audio, being able to write audio essentially. Um, but in in that uh, in that realm, what we have is uh, the impact culturally. Um, like I said before. Publishing was the money-making for the music industry. Traditional, literal publishing. Publishing the sheet music. And, um, you know, parlor, your parlor in your house had a piano. um, Sometimes it had a guitar. And the sheet music was always written for piano. And this was your entertainment. You didn't have radio. In 1870, you didn't have television, certainly. You didn't have television until the 
until the very early 1950s. So television's out. So what you have is live music in the house. Somebody knew how to play the piano, and that was your, you know, and that was your DJ, if you will, back in the day. You you had a parlor that was where your gatherings happened, and somebody knew how to read sheet music and play the piano, and they were the entertainer of the evening. Usually, a family member. Sometimes, family would just get together after dinner in the evenings. And just play music. This all changed uh, with the invention of the phonograph and re- pre-recorded music. Um, and it changed in a way that uh, we really don't, we haven't seen since. Instead of uh, people learning how to play the piano and reading sheet music which, uh, be honest with you, half the musicians today don't know how to read sheet music, and uh, including myself. Uh, it's, it's, you know, something I highly respect in somebody that can do it, but I, I haven't been able to translate it. Tablature for the guitar, sure, but actual notation, no, nah, not happening. So... You have to ask yourself, how long did that transition take? It didn't take very long. So publishing went from publishing sheet music to producing these wax cylinders. And uh, they, they, uh, the music industry still made their money, but they made more of it um, because they, uh, they were able to they were able to get into homes of people who didn't play the piano, and uh, that was a uh, that was a big big step. Uh, everybody loved to listen to to music, but you know your your lower class poor um, didn't have the skills to play piano. A lot of them did; um, they just didn't know how to read sheet music. So. Uh, We'll we'll jump forward in another episode to uh, to the creation of rock and roll and how the piano, you know, uh, came into play. It came back into play. But in this moment in time, publishing became even more lucrative uh, because you had you you had the recorded music instead of the sheet music and. Uh, you pay your artist, and your you know your artist would uh, get a cut of it, sure. But the money has always been in publishing, and when when you're making that kind of money, uh, you you get control of an industry. Profit produces, you know, a power grab, and. Uh, there have been a lot of musicians that have been cheated out of uh, fortunes because of of publishing, and uh, you know the the publishing or AKA the record company uh, got most of the money there. So even to this day, today is different because you don't need publishing. 
you can do it yourself. You can release your music. Like this podcast you're listening to. You, I can just as well release this as a, as an album of music or one track. Submit it to iTunes and Spotify. And uh, boom, you know, uh, there it's published. But, you know, as far as back in the day uh, when the phonograph came about, uh, first of all, it, early phonographs were small. Pianos are huge. So you could you could put a phonograph in the corner of any room. You don't have to live in a big mansion with a parlor dedicated, basically a room dedicated to entertainment. Uh, phonograph could fit in a bedroom. And, you know, excuse me, um, became much more of a personal thing. And it got even more personal as the years progressed. So, the uh, the technology behind it, um, you know, wax cylinders, brass needle hitting the wax, uh, you know, it would wear, wear out pretty quick. And if you like that particular artist or that particular song, you would want another copy. So, um, all the way up until the CD and the mini disc even i'm i'm a big fan of the mini disc we'll get to that in another episode but you know whenever um whenever all the tape even degrades after time it's better than than vinyl records and wax certainly but uh you know it wears out and anything that wears out would want to be replaced, especially if it's something you're emotionally connected to, such as music, for example. And that that all plays into the cultural shift here. Music became a personal experience as, as the technology shrank. Um, phonograph wasn't very big. Um, you know, the, the original Edison phonograph was about the size of a large shoebox with a horn on top of it. And the cylinders were cylinders, and they fit over the spindle, and they didn't take up much room at all. So you had your collection of cylinders, and you had your phonograph, and it could fit anywhere you wanted it to. It didn't take up much room at all. You didn't have to plug it in because, you know, we're not dealing with electricity yet. This wasn't electrically amplified. This was mechanically amplified, and I didn't do a good job of explaining that earlier. Um, you know, when I, uh, in the previous episode, um, you know, I mentioned that, uh, you know, I talked uh, about it, but I didn't explain mechanical amplification, you know, being analog, truly analog. So... The cultural impact shifted. It became more personal. Like I say, you fit the phonograph in your bedroom. Okay, so then, you know, what happens in your bedroom is very personal. Everything, you know, sleep, uh, marital duties, if you will. Uh, you know, it uh, it became much personal, you know. 
In fact, in um, my generation, uh, we termed the phrase, you know, baby making music, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, there's a whole genre of music out there that's uh, specifically designed or written and recorded to uh, take advantage of that. So we're not playing a piano as entertainment in the crowd anymore, you know, in the parlor of your big house. You're listening to it, probably you and your wife or husband, maybe by yourself in your room, your small apartment maybe, and you're saving your your $5 a, month, a week, uh, you know, uh, salary for, you know, a cylinder here and there. And uh, you don't have a lot of money. So the music you do buy, uh, those that 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 music is a fierce competition, even even all the way up till today. And we we talk about charts and number one hits and all that. It's it's competition because people don't invest like I do, or you, you know maybe you're listening, you you take music very seriously. You know I I have an extensive record collection. Um, I'm beginning to collect other other mediums, you know, like mini disc, like I've mentioned, and um, I'm getting back into to tape, um, you know. So there, there's many many ways you can look at it uh, culturally and societal uh, as far as the impact goes. Now we move forward from there. There's been, you know, several different let's say niche or obscure ways to get audio onto some kind of form you can re-listen to it um acetate is often mentioned if you can you know uh it was usually used as the as the master record that the that the biscuit was made from and we'll we'll talk more about records and then in a later episode, um, right now I just kind of want to focus on the early transition from paper publishing to actual pre-recorded music. Um, and a player piano, let's talk about that. That is technically recorded music, um, pre-recorded. Now, you don't think of it as pre-recorded music in the sense that I'm playing an instrument in front of a microphone, and that microphone's putting it in some kind of format. But it is it is pre-recorded. Uh, you play a piano, um, you know, you buy a scroll just like you would uh, the sheet music or the, uh, the phonograph cylinder. And you would... Uh, you know, maybe that's the transition that we should talk about. You know, the, between the the full on piano, okay, in the in the parlor, and maybe the player piano was the catalyst that eroded people away from learning how to play the piano, reading sheet music. You had a piano. You already had a parlor. 
you had a piano, swap it out for a player piano. No, no need for somebody to play it. You, the piano player can join in the fun at, at the party now because the scroll, the piano, would play itself. And uh, it's very interesting. Player pianos, um, I've heard a couple in real life. Um, I've seen them operate. And you know what? They're... They're not really that common, but I don't really think they're that expensive either. They're just not common. Uh, and the tone of the player piano is very interesting. It's very Scott Joplin-ish. Um, you know, very mechanically, obviously very mechanically uh, actuated. You know, so it sounds like a giant resonant music box, you know. So, um, that I found interesting. And, um, there, there's been other, other things. I mean, you know, that, that's probably the transition point between, I want to, I haven't done research on player pianos, so that, that's going to be, I'll do a follow up on that in the next episode. Um, and I'm. Trying to keep this really laid back. I don't want to overproduce it. I don't want to over polish it. I just I just want to kind of just connect with me and my audience here. And, you know, so you're going to hear me cough and sneeze once in a while. You might hear some background noise. But I'm really trying to focus on good quality audio and decent production. I don't want it to sound like I recorded this in the bathroom by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, just bear with me as I... As I move forward, um, I am willing to work at this, um, but I have to do it. I have to record these episodes in the middle of the night. Um, that's the only way I can get privacy and quiet enough to, to actually not have anything distracting in the background and uh, like TV noises and people talking and, and that and the other thing. So, um, in the future, it'll get better as uh, I think about how I want to produce this. And I'd also like to announce that coming up in a week or two, uh, there will be another podcast being launched by yours truly. Uh, me and my good friend and brother, Gio, uh, will be relaunching a podcast that we have had on hiatus for quite some time. Um, just due to life and time and scheduling and everything. But now is a good time for us to relaunch that and to distribute it across the world and to have it available for you people to enjoy and who knows uh, it's going to be more topical uh, conversational uh, it's not going to be like this i'm trying to keep every episode on the theme of recorded music or and, and audio in that realm you know i'm not going to talk about current events or what's going on in my life so much um there will be a new segment a little bit later, uh, probably coming up. I haven't really timed this very much, but we're we're about 20 minutes into this episode. I want to give a, a little warm-up here. 
I wanted to go into, you know, some of the things that I wanted to talk about last episode. But, um, like I said, I wanted that to be the clay pot episode. Um, it failed. Nobody's interested in clay pots. But I did get a lot of good feedback. And there's just not enough info to fill up a whole episode about it. So... Uh, maybe if I had somebody else that knew a little bit more about it, there's, there's just not much out there. I couldn't find anything. And, um, my resources were somewhat limited on the subject. So having said that, um, I will probably go ahead and take a cut for news and, uh, I'll be back after the news segment. And yes, it's going to be me doing the news, but it's another segment I would have recorded completely different from this one. So, there you go. And now, for the news. And welcome to the news. Um, today is rather the first story I discovered, actually. is uh, actually pretty interesting. Um, the headline reads... Primary wave by stake in Prince Estate, encompassing publishing, master recording, income, and more. Wow, that's uh, it's very interesting. Um, Eighty million dollar majority stake in the publishing catalog of Fleetwood Mac member Stevie Nicks. Um, it's one of the recent acquisitions. Uh, this actually comes from Minnesota, the Minnesota Star Tribune, uh, first, uh, it's not where I got it from, I'm not giving any newspaper, uh, my time of day if I can help it, but that's, that's irregardless of the point. Uh, the primary wave, that primary wave, um, which I guess is some kind of, um, I'll do more research on that for the next segment. I know I keep saying that a lot, but, um, a lot of this is kind of new to me as far as the news goes. Uh, I spent a lot of my time in the recording, um, I won't say recording industry because I'm not in it, but, you know, as far as far as my musicianship goes and when I record things, um, I just do it for fun. And uh, mostly I'm an analog guy living in the past. So anyway, back to the news. Um, according to the article, Primary Wave, which is probably some kind of investment conglomerate, acquired 100% of the heritage. A prince's youngest of six siblings. Wow. They bought the entire inheritance of his youngest. Wow. Omar Baker. As well as 90% of sister Tyka Nelson's stake and 100% of stake held by Alfred Jackson. Oh, that's sad to me. Money, 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 right? So by the re by, by you know uh, in reading this it looks like that um 
Prince had six siblings, and um, two of the siblings sold 100% of Prince's inheritance, what they garnered from the estate, and one of them sold 90% of their their inheritance. Uh, why, why even leave it to people? Uh, I'm still trying to decide where my guitar collection goes when I leave this earth. Um, that's a, that's a tough decision because, uh, you know, I would hope that as a collection, nobody would want it more than I would, but each individual one, somebody might want as bad. And, um, I can just see people fighting over my junk. It's not junk to me. I've got a, I've got an extensive guitar and bass collection and uh, various other related things, amps and whatnot. And I could just see, I could just see folks just fighting, 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 fighting over it. And I'm gonna have a lock solid, um, will final will and testament. I'm gonna probably record a video. I'm going to have it written very specifically how I want things to be handled when I go. Um, just because of this right here. I've got one sibling left. And I've got family. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to leave them my guitar collection just for them to turn around and sell it. I don't think my sister would, but... What is she going to do with my guitar collection? It's not going to do her any good. I'm not going to burden her with it. So there you go. But this right here is just sad to me because <sighs> Prince was such a talent and such a loss. And his own siblings are just selling out left and right. You know, it's terrible. But uh, the Wall Street Journal followed. Um, They want to, uh, they're, they're, so according to the Wall Street Journal, who followed up on the story, um, are lined up to own about 42% of legendary singers' estate. <laughs> Valued somewhere between $100 million and $300 million. Primary Wave has chimed in, and they now confirmed an official media release that, uh, it has acquired expectancy interest in the estate of Prince from the late singer's siblings, which, you know, basically that means they've confirmed what the Minnesota Tribune has already thrown out there. Uh, as part of the New Deal purchase, Omar Baker and Alfred Jackson stakes in the Prince estate primary way music has acquired expectancy interest in which comes in. Yeah, this is this is just sad to me. Basically, um, primary wave is oh god, wouldn't it be heartbreaking if they were owned by Chinese? That would just suck. But um, that's that. We're gonna go on to the next story here. Um, see what we have. I'd also like to throw out my condolences and my sadness to uh, the loss of 
of Dusty Hill of ZZ Top. Um, no way that that was expected. Um, there's some new Wu-Tang Clan news. I'm a fan of the Wu-Tang Clan. Wu-Tang Clan sharpened their musical swords in new Wu-Tang and American Saga trailer. Okay, so are we getting a documentary or is this a, oh, it's a Hulu original? Okay. So those of you who subscribe to Hulu, uh, feel free to go check that out. A new trailer for season two of the biographical series. Okay, so they've already worked on this. It's a series. It's biographical. Wasn't aware of it because I don't, I don't subscribe to Hulu, so I'm kind of out of the loop there. But uh, that's interesting. So season two is set to uh, continue on. Uh, look for that on September 8th on Hulu. Uh, season one was steeped in pre-Wu-Tang lore, delving into the events that led up to the group's formation. Season two will ostensibly center around the creation of their classic debut, Enter the Wu-Tang, 36 Chambers. Uh, I am not a huge hip-hop fan. Or rap, as I like to call it. I'm a Gen Xer. Uh, mainly because the rap that I've been exposed to, the hip-hop that I've been exposed to in my youth and up until fairly recently, in the last five, five ten years, has been very derogatory. Um, no positive message in it at all. No deeper meaning repetitive, very just rudimentary, anybody-can-do-this-at-home type shit. And um, I was just not impressed with it at all. Um, now, over the years, I've, I have learned to sift through the garbage to find the gems. Um, Tupac, who is most famous for his gangster rap, which was a cry for societal change. Um, his first three albums weren't gangster rap, I wouldn't think. It, his first three albums were very um, on point as far as message goes. Um, deeper than just, hey, look at my gold chains and my bitches on my arms, you, you know. Uh, Tupac had a hunger in him A need I kind of felt like Suge Knight kept him in the life I, I think I think Tupac would have gotten out of Gangster lifestyle Had he not been obligated um, Just like he was obligated To do the gangster rap Because of Suge Knight and I'm not going to go down that whole rabbit hole Because that's it is kind of on topic, but it's not really on topic. So look out for season two of Wu-Tang and America's Saga premiering on Hulu September 8th. Um, I'm going to have to figure out a way to watch that without Hulu somehow. Uh, I don't know if that's possible. 
That's interesting. Uh, let's see. What else do we have? That was from Rolling Stone, by the way. Let's see what else. Um, um, ah, there's some more sad news. Cool in the Gang saxophonist Dennis Thomas passes away. DT, as he was known, co-founding member of the legendary funk outfit, appearing on every album from 1969 debut to this year's Perfect Union. That is very hard. Uh, that is very, very hard. So condolences to... The fans and family, cool looking gang. Um, yeah, I I didn't realize how much I missed cool and the gang from my childhood until I recently heard some of the tunes pop up. Um, see what else we have here in the headlines. Okay, let's see. Okay, now this is interesting. Um, this is uh, something most people don't think about. UK musicians hit out an announcement about visa-free EU touring. Uh, this is from The Guardian, so... It's going to have some weird language here, being an English paper publication and all. Trade bodies and unions representing British musicians have expressed frustration at a government announcement on European work visas that they say changes nothing. Okay, makes sense. I'm not a big fan of the European Union, by the way. Um, I'm not trying to get political here, but... Uh, I think each of the European countries deserve their own sovereignty. Uh, just for stuff like this. Um, musicians and performers continue to accuse the government of ignoring their plight by failing to negotiate any Brexit deal that would reinstate the previous visa-free working agreements arrangements. Now, that is an unexpected consequence right there, if I ever heard one. Um, England should be able to leave the European Union without punishment. They voted for it. It's been, what, five years now? Six years? And they're still not out? Um... Uh, Well, first of all, The Guardian makes no sense because here we go. This is The Guardian for you. Now, I'm going to talk about this after I read it. Live music industry prepares for a quiet, sad summer. Okay, first of all, for all intents and purposes, summer's over. We're well into August right now. And I know a lot of musicians who... Uh, Going back out on tour, have been on tour, starting to get their feet wet again, performing live, and not just these Zoom concerts either. Uh, 
actually going to venues and really just, you know, getting out there like it used to be. And uh, so this article, I'm not even going to bother reading past that headline because that's just not true. Um, you got to pick and choose sometimes. Um, okay. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, let's see what's going on with Billboard. Oh, this is something. Eric Clapton. Okay, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna get off topic a little bit here, but this is news. Eric Clapton received the uh COVID vaccine. I don't know which vaccine he took. I don't know anything about other than he took it. And his own experience. He he became very, very, very reactive to the vaccine. He almost died. Now, Eric Clapton is one of my heroes. Um, a lot of the way I play guitar, uh, I play like Eric Clapton, um, mainly because he very rarely uses his pinky on his left hand. I can't use my pinky very well on my left hand. So... A lot of a lot of my style um is goes back to uh goes back to Eric Clapton. And uh I think it's just very uh very sad had we lost him. Um I would not be happy about that at all. At all. If we had lost Eric Clapton. And he had a very bad reaction. He almost died. Okay. I made that point. Made it. Uh, the thing about it is. Uh, after his experience. He said that he was not going to force. He, well no. He went a step further than that. He said that he wasn't going to. Play any venue that forced somebody to get a vaccine. Uh, he he feels that strongly about his experience, and that's his right. Uh, he's earned a spot at uh, Royal Albert Hall. I haven't been fortunate enough to see Eric Clapton play live. Um, I had hoped one day I would be able to, but I won't as of yet. Uh but he's a world-renowned musician, and uh, he's getting he's catching hell over this because of his experience with with the vaccine, and people are giving him shit about it, and uh, it's not fair because he did nearly die after having this vaccine, and had he had COVID, he would have probably fared better. And that's the thing. You it's roulette with the vaccine. You don't know what's gonna happen. So if somebody wants to get it, that's fine. I personally have no problem with somebody getting the vaccine. Um 
Eric Clapton said he wouldn't get it knowing that knowing what he knows now. And he's not going to put himself in a position to force somebody else to go through what he went through or potentially go through it. And uh, even Brian May is, is, is you know, there's different views on anti-vax. He got the vaccine. Eric Clapton got the vaccine. He's not an anti-vaxxer. He got the vaccine. Okay. And the only reason I'm talking about this is because it's Eric Clapton and this is music related and it's news. Okay. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it. So Brian May's now giving him shit, calling him an anti-vaxxer. Okay. I'm going to get to Brian May here in a minute. Uh, how can you be an anti-vaxxer when you got the vaccine? Tell me that. Um, okay, so on, on to Brian May. I just found out recently that uh, there will be a sequel to Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, in my opinion... As a movie, sucked. Um, and the reason it sucked is because I'm a fan of Queen. And it didn't really tell us fans anything about the band or anything. It was just, it was basically a glam shot tribute to Freddie Mercury, which he deserves glam shot tribute. Um, but that one song, Bohemian Rhapsody, is the only thing millennials ever hear of Queen. And they go out, they watch this movie named Bohemian Rhapsody. I know Queen's capitalizing on it, sure. Brian May uh, announced the sequel to this movie, and I expect it's going to be more of the same. Um... I would like to see me as a huge queen is probably one of my top five favorite bands of all time. I hardly ever listen to them because it hurts. Um, Freddie Mercury passed away. It was very painful. And it was uh, right around the time I lost my brother too. So I don't remember if it was before or after, but it was right around the same time. And, uh, It just, just hurts, man. You know, my favorite album just of theirs was their last one with Freddie. I just now, just now in the last few months accepted Adam Lambert as a proper front man for, and I'm going to call him a man. Uh, I call Freddie man. You know, I think Freddie would want to be called a man. Uh, a proper replacement for Freddie. Um, my favorite album is Innuendo, and uh, it was their last with Freddie. Freddie knew he was going to die whenever he made that album, and uh, he just, uh, it, it was knowing that fact. Nobody else knew. The band knew, but the, the fans did not know. The public did not know. Freddie kept that very, very private. And, uh, golly, when I found out Adam Lambert was going to front that band, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
But then I heard Adam do a song off of uh, Innuendo, the last song, The Show Must Go On. I heard Adam do that song live with Queen. And he... I, I mean, I, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. I'm getting teary-eyed. He gave that song credence. He gave it... Uh, he put his name on it without making a debauchery of the song. He hit the right notes. He attenuated the... You know, when he should. And um, he didn't make up lyrics. He did it spot on the way it should be. And if you closed your eyes and you drifted far, far away, you just might, might be able to imagine that that was a very, very young Freddie Mercury singing that song and uh at the same time he's not trying to be freddie mercury he's not trying to fill those shoes but he's giving freddie's songs life and uh i give him props man i i really do um he has my blessing as a true queen fan there's a few bands out there that a replacement of any sort just would not, you know, just wouldn't, just wouldn't, just, <laughs> just wouldn't work. Pink Floyd's one of them. When Roger left Pink Floyd, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is different. But, uh, you know, as time progressed, uh, Gilmore started influencing and, uh, Gilmore doesn't like to write lyrics, so, um, Gilmore era of Pink Floyd w was good, it was more poppy, it wasn't as introspective as it was, and I wouldn't call them progressive rock by the time Gilmore took over, they, you know, Gilmore was interested in just straight, his style, but you know, more palatable, which is fine. I mean, you know, I still love those albums, uh, Delicate Sound of Thunder, which is a live version of Momentary Lapse of Reason. Momentary Lapse of Reason was great. Uh, Division Bell's concert I saw. Division Bell was spectacular. It sounded like the 90s without sounding like the 90s, if you know what I mean, but... Yeah. I don't know if you consider any of this news, but it is related. And uh, I'm going to get back to the regular segment now. And uh, I'll see you on the flip. And that was the news. All right. I'm back. Um, hope you all enjoyed the news segment. I do believe I went off on a little tangent there towards the end, but it had to be done. Um, so, what was I talking about? Recorded music. 
Um, my favorite formats. My favorite formats. Um, my favorite digital format is mini disc. Obviously, my favorite recorded uh, or analog format is the is the vinyl record. Um, but as far as I'm recording things, um, I absolutely love tape. Big, fat, ten and a half inch reel tape. Um, I have invested heavily in that. And... Uh, you know, it it goes all the way back to preservation and archiving and everything else that you know. I don't I don't see very well, so my ears are valuable to me, um, and my ears aren't great. I mean, you know, I don't have like radar ears or anything, but. I can turn my eyes off and my ears on because most of the time my eyes are barely functional. Um, and it, it, it does create a lot of challenges for me. Um, but um, I do think it helps me pay more attention to audio. And uh, like I said, the quality of this audio... Um, I have a set. A st I have set a standard to which I hold it, and uh, I'm not there yet. But um, the feedback I've gotten in the past week, uh, since the first episode was released, um, has been pretty good. But I have a standard that I that I hold it to, and. Um, that's just how it's going to be. Um, so this podcast, the Bugcast, will improve over time. And as I wrap this hour up, um, I just would like to uh, mention that there's no way for you all to get a hold of me right now, which is not very important because there's not many of you there yet. But... Uh, I will set something up fairly soon to where you could at least email and I can get your feedback or maybe a Facebook page, some kind of website. I don't know. I have a hard time promoting things because I don't have the reach that a lot of other people do. I don't do the Twitter and I barely do the Instagram and Facebook's pretty much just for a few close friends and family, and uh, I leave it at pretty much that. So, but I'm going to work on trying to get away for you all to leave your feedback and your questions and everything. And um, when that's set up, there'll be a new segment introduced, question and answer, or just simply feedback uh, section. And uh, hopefully I will uh, give you all a cash app, um, my cash app username uh, for donations and PayPal if y'all want to do that. Um, 
I probably will take advertising at some point. I'm not going to lie on this podcast. Uh, Geek versus Geek, the podcast I'm launching with my best friend and brother. Uh, it won't take advertising. It's going to solely rely on um, donations and whatnot because uh, we're just trying to avoid the cancel culture society that we live in and uh it's, it's a real fact um if you don't agree with a certain segment of the population that certain segment while small but very vocal will do their best to wipe you off the face of the earth and uh it's unfortunate um the internet when i was coming up used to be the wild wild west uh i learned so much from the early internet and now it's just, uh, it's all about control, isn't it? Control of the voices. Stifled dissent. That kind of thing. And on that note, I will wrap up episode two. Um, join me next time for Same Bug Time, Same Bug Channel. And uh, I'll have even more content for you, hopefully. Um, I'll do a little bit more of the news. There, there's some talk about Yamaha acquiring Pioneer. I think they did. Uh, I'm going to dive into that a little bit more in next week's new segment. Not sure how I feel about that. Um, I like to see what Sony's getting into since Minidisc is my favorite, uh, digital recording format. Uh, and we will... Join back at the same time. Uh, I'm not on Apple Podcasts yet that I know of, but uh, pretty much everywhere else at this point. So wherever you get your podcasts, except for the Apple Podcast app, uh, go uh, go look for it. Go subscribe. If you're already listening to it, you probably already subscribed. So anyway, good luck with that, right? All right. Well, Y'all have a good one, and uh, I will catch you on the flip.